Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Tuesday, and welcome to another pop-up, number three. Let's get to it. Nick Elam, professor at Ball State, PhD, specialized in educational leadership, a former high school baseball coach, and a part-time groundskeeper for the Cincinnati Reds, is also a Mensa member. Now, Mensa is a organization. The, the word actually means mind, table, and month, and it was created to serve as a roundtable society for highly intelligent people to meet on a monthly basis. It's now internationally known. There's over 100,000 members in 100 countries throughout the world. Now, the actual criteria or level is the top 2% smartest people in the world. So this dude's got a big brain. It's about 130 to 140 IQ, at least. That's the minimum. And anyway, this Nick Alem loves sports. He loves basketball, but more importantly, he loves baseball. So I was forwarded this article by my buddy, uh, Brian. I have a lot of friends named Brian. My parents, obviously, were not very original. Uh, sister's name is Rebecca. Brother's name is Ben. So there you go. Anyway, a friend, Brian, or B-Rich, as we call him, we uh, run a over 31 bat league here in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And he sent me this article, and I thought it was very interesting. And I wanted to mention these little caveats and give you a link so you can do further information uh, or investigation at your own leisure. So anyway, Elam is known for doing the Elam ending. This is where the clock, the first, the first whistle under three minutes in basketball would then usher in this idea. So the clock would no longer become a factor. So it would take the score of the team that's leading, add seven, and that would then become the end game, um, you know, point total, kind of like back, you know, backyard basketball, street ball. You know, you go to 11, 21, whatever odd number you chose. So, for example, if the Warriors were leading the Cavs 106 to 101, there was a whistle at the 2 minute and 53 second mark. Clock goes away. You add 7 to the 106 score, and now the end game uh, score you're shooting for is 113. So 113 points wins you the game. So this keeps the Cavs, or the team losing, from doing the hack-a-shack, and it also rewards the team winning, the Warriors in this case, because they're already that much closer to the final score and, and winning the game. So this, because the last three minutes of a basketball game can get ridiculous, and then they review everything. Why is the last three minutes of a basketball game completely different than the other 45? Anyway, this is about baseball, not basketball. So Elam loves baseball, as I mentioned. So he was watching game five of the divisional round of playoffs last year, Nationals, Cubs, and he became tired of the game as it crept over the four-hour mark. It actually concluded at four hours and 37 minutes, and Nick's excitement had greatly waned. As Jeff Passan says, uh, he's the one who wrote this article I'm about to uh, reference, he said, when you lose the Nick Elams of the world, there's a problem. So there's a bunch of ideas, several, that Nick mentions that he thinks can really help the game of baseball as we're ushering ushering in the new fans, we have to, we're at a very pivotal pivotal moment in the sport where we have to do something to keep the old and the new fans. As information and technology and society as a whole starts moving in a very drastic different direction, and this always happens every several decades, we have a shift, and we're having one right now, and it's impacting sports. So. Elam decided to put out a couple of suggestions. Some are good. Some are like, meh, you know, it is what it is. But I just wanted to mention them, and then I have the link to the article so you can read for further information. So again, thanks, my buddy, B. Rich, for sending this to me. Appreciate it. Maybe we'll take some of these and make an episode out of it. Let me know your thoughts, okay? All right, number one, our first one is dynamic strike zone. 
So at a o, o count, no balls, no strikes, the strike zone is smaller. And then as every pitch becomes a strike, so you get a O1 count, it expands. O2 count, it expands again. This way, it allows the batter to get a better pitch first go around. Or not even first go around, but if it's 2-0, and o, the strike zone is still the same. So they're going to get a good pitch, put the ball in play early. But with the pitcher, if he gets that first strike, now it's going to be to his advantage. So there's still strategy involved. I thought this was very creative. Uh, whether you like it or not, it's whatever. I always thought it's best to expand the strike zone anyway to put more balls in play. Um, that's just me. Uh, next is move the pitching rubber to the true center of the diamond. So that would move it back three feet. And that gives the batters uh, more reaction time. I don't know what that does to the pitcher. I'm not a pitcher. I can only imagine the uproar with that one. But again, it's there. Don't kill the messenger. Uh, institute a three-batter minimum for relief pitchers. So when a relief pitcher comes in, he has to pitch to three batters minimum unless he closed out the inning and then he's uh, no longer held to that. So again, you can read more about that in the article. I want to point people towards Jeff Passan's work. I don't want to take the credit for it. Great article. I just want to point you in that direction. All right, next is embrace the regionality in a way no other sport ever has. So instead of divisions, you have American League, National League, 15 teams. And what you do with that is it's the best teams go to the playoffs. Uh, maybe even a threshold, not a threshold, the opposite of that, um, a minimum criteria of 90 wins. And they go in the playoffs. Uh, choose your own adventure playoff format. This is the top team, whether they're a division winner. So if the wild card is the better team, they just struggled or they were in a really tough uh, division, they get to choose. If they make it, they get to choose who they play. Uh, interesting. Uh, making the All-Star game old versus young. I actually like this because we tried, we, we flirted, we didn't flirt with the idea. We actually started dating the idea of whoever wins the All-Star game, they get home field advantage, which I thought was utterly stupid. They're trying to put meaning back in the All-Star break or All-Star game. I, I understand that. That was a dumb idea and they took it away. So I'm, I'm glad they did. So with this whole old versus young, this is what the, the starting lineups would look like. Rising stars, which would be the young, which about, I think it's five, less than five years of um, major league experience. Mookie Betts, Jose Ramirez, Aaron Judge, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Jose Abreu, Andrew Benatendi, Wilson Contreras, Scooter Gannett, and then Garrett Cole against Jose Altuve, Freddie Freeman, Mike Trout, J.D. Martinez, Martinez, Juan Carlos Stanton, Buster Posley, Brandon Crawford, Lorenzo Cain, Mike Mostaukas, and Max Scherzer. Looks, looks pretty good to me. So another creative idea to keep it going. And, and here's another one. Making the All-Star Game, I already mentioned that one, my bad. Uh, the Saturday after, the first Saturday after the All-Star break, have a full slate of day-night doubleheaders. So every team plays a doubleheader. All those ticket proceeds go towards charity. And when you buy a seat, you get entrance into both games. And the cool thing about this is this is when you can do the interleague play. A lot of times there's, you know, this team will play this team only, only twice at each other's stadium. And this eliminates one of those and, and traveling or hanging out in the city you don't like any longer than you want to. So good idea. And then also have the MLB draft live at the All-Star game afterwards. Brings more attention to these young stars and to that idea. Because right now it's, if you don't follow the right people on Twitter or watch MLB Network, you don't really learn much about it. It just kind of passes by. And it just takes so long for a player to, to go through the minors to get to where you actually see them unless they're a phenom like Bryce Harper, Manny, Mike Trout, and some others. So this kind of brings more attention to that. And then also, finally, some fan service ideas. A couple of those is incorporate public address announcers more into each game. So not, in, not at an obnoxious level, but at a level where when there's a home run hit, someone would announce, this is Bryce Harper's 10th home run of this year. Or when someone 
a pitcher strikes a batter out, they will mention, and his strikeout counter just went up to 65 for you know this week or this year. You know, just just ways to interact with the fans more so they have more to cheer about other than, you know, oh, if they didn't see the play, well, at least they heard what happened. And then encourage spontaneous celebration. So the opposite of what I think the players would allow, to a certain extent, let the batters celebrate their home runs, let the pitchers celebrate their strikeouts, and no one gets their feelings hurt because we're all brave macho men and we need to stop crying like little babies. All right, anyway, so there's that. That's our pop-up. Jeff Passan, he is MLB commonist for Yahoo Sports. He's the one who's credited with putting this all together, adding his own little uh, objective statements, and I'm going to link the article somewhere in this pop-up that you can click and get further information. Okay? All right. Until Friday. See ya!